Can we build a conscious computer? Humans talk about putting AI and machine learning into computers, but can we build a computer that has consciousness, or are those who try just members of a technological cargo cult? Today, we're going to explore two concepts underneath the umbrella of consciousness, free will and sentience. And we'll start off with the story of John Frum. How are you doing on this fantastic Saturday? Doing excellent, and yourself? I'm doing great. I'm really glad that you were able to meet up today. I just finished explaining the story of John Frum, and I don't know how long it's been since you read uh, The Fourth Age, but I've been having a lot of fun with this book. Um, I'll, I'll explain it a little bit just to kind of give you some context. But the story of John Frum is about these group of islanders down in the Pacific uh, who during World War II, they would see Americans come down, clear out a bunch of space, create a runway, and then planes would land on that runway, and they'd have all of this cargo. And sometimes the Americans would give the islanders some of that cargo, including like canned foods and other materials that they needed. So some groups of those islanders went and started building their own runways and set up their own radios made out of coconuts and everything to try to get those planes to land. But the planes never landed. And I thought it was really cool that he brought this in to talk about consciousness in the way kind of thinking, OK, we see humans having consciousness and we see animals having consciousness. So if we plug together a bunch of things and make it look the same way that we see this consciousness act, robots should have consciousness. Right. So the, the question that I'm exploring today is can conscious computers be built or are those who are trying to build these conscious computers just members? of a technological kind of said a lot there, but uh, yeah. let me, let me take it back a step and, uh, and, and ask, thank you for sharing that book. What were, uh, what were some of your biggest things that you enjoyed about? The book? Yeah, I absolutely loved it. And I'm glad you, I'm glad you added it to your list. Um, and honestly, I thought the book was insane in a great way. And it really goes to show how many pieces there are to the puzzle and how many false positives we're probably going to hit along the way and how it will change society for the better as long as, you know, we don't mess up completely. Um, because even, <laughs> if, even if we're 50% correct, it'll self-correct to 100 over time. At least that's how I interpreted the book. Um, basically saying that there, there's so many possible correct solutions that as long as it's at least kind of in morally the same realm, uh, it'll solve itself, and we'll end up we'll end up with a fully working general intelligence uh, as time goes on. One of the things I really like that the author brings up is a lot of these arguments. Rather than saying like this is how it is, he says, "Hey, I've got this podcast. I've had like hundreds of these AI professionals on to talk about it." And there's still a lot of discourse here. And I like that he separates it into like questioning on your own. Like, are you a monist? Yep. Do you think that everything consists of atoms and is one single thing? Yep. Or are you a dualist? Do you think that there's like on top of the physical, do you think that there's this extra little space? In me, it's not something I ever really considered. Have you, are, are you in one camp or another very strictly? Or do you still like let those ideas kind of stay in flux? Well, I loved how he gave some examples uh, where he's like, yeah, so... 
if you are a person who, you know, I think it was the example of like the, the Chinese uh, room or something where like there you have that experience of knowing everything and then you step out or seeing color. That's what it is. You know color. You, you have all this color knowledge, but you step out of the world and see color for the first time. Is that a different experience or do they not learn anything new? Um, and that's mono. And to be honest, I, as much as I want to say monist and like machinist and all sorts of things of like it's built from the ground up there are pieces of it that to me are a little bit ethereal and a little bit not not easily explained by science as of as of yet mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's yep. not, it's right there with you just grasp onto and say well clearly x you know because as a programmer of all people i feel like i would be able to be you know easily resonating with with that idea of if you build it it's exactly the same um, and it kind of gets into the idea of like, I don't know, if you can clone something, what is cloning? If you copy Adam for Adam, in theory, they have the same thoughts as you because it's the same structure. Right. But so, so mm-hmm. the idea, I think, I, I don't know if it was in the fourth age or a different book, um, but the idea that if you clone yourself, so your clone could go to work while you go to the beach, the thought being that your clone will also go to the beach thinking yeah, you're the one going to work. Right. So it's like. <laughs> it would ironically be the case that because it's the same person with the same thoughts, you know, you can't really clone it. Right. So, um, yeah, to answer the initial thought of is uh, consciousness possible is is consciousness uh, creatable, I think is what you asked um, with regards to mm-hmm. the um, uh, the camp. I forget the name of the camp. What was that? The planes? Oh, the uh, technological cargo yeah, cult. Yeah, cargo cult. That's that's the name of it. Was um, is there is there a real life version of that um, in the future with around AI? Um, possibly, um, and I think the next the next thirty years will show that very clearly. Um, and I think we're in the same boat with, uh, ironically, AR and VR. It's like both of those are moving at that same pace where in the mid 1900s and late 1900s it was a lot of excitement and then it just kind of died for 20 years and now all of a sudden there's a bunch of excitement again and so i don't know if it's a new generation of of individuals experiencing it for the first time or is it actually a new set of technology a new set of learnings that allows us to uh look at that same problem but in a new light and and that's what's been crazy is is the author byron byron reese keeps saying he's like This is the fourth age. Artificial intelligence and machine learning are fundamentally different from how things have been done in the past and they're gonna redefine humanity. But yeah, just like you're saying, we saw this like 30, 40 years ago. We saw Turing talk about artificial intelligence and we saw all these people bringing up all these cool AI algorithms and we still don't have this general intelligence that comes close to humanity. But at the same time, we don't understand the brain and like we can say that plants don't experience pain, but like, so the, the five questions that I really love were uh, at the, at the end of the sentience chapter. And there were five yes or no questions. Like do dogs feel pain? Can insects and spiders feel pain? That's different. Can plants feel pain? Now take it one step further. Can an alien that without a nervous system feel pain in a completely different way than humans do? And then like the furthest away can inorganic stuff like uh, an alien that's made out of plants or, or an, an animal that's made out of dirt, 
can crystals, thunderstorms, and all that stuff feel pain? Uh -huh. And it's like this slow progression, and he works it like a mathematical proof. Yeah. And that really gets me is like like how he goes through all these logical arguments using math. Okay, are robots going to take all of the jobs? Are they going to take some of the jobs? And are they going to take none of the jobs? Well, each of those has like tons of assumptions that fall under it, you know? So like we got we to address those assumptions first before we can answer the question. Yeah. And I think that's the most important thing with this is AI, we're quick to give these knee-jerk reactions of, oh, I hate it, or it's going to steal all the jobs, or it's going to kill humans, or it's going to totally improve us. But there are a lot of assumptions and a lot of wrapped up beliefs in that, that I think a lot of people forget when they're, when they're just given these knee-jerk reactions. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know where I want to go with that. I just, I thought it should have been said. So I haven't finished the book yet. I'm still working on it. Okay. Okay. It's an excellent what are you, book. What are you going to uh, love the rest of it. I know that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm about, I think I have another hundred pages left and I just got into the sections on computer consciousness, mm -hmm. but it's been a cool buildup so far. So I guess now I kind of want to take it what after reading it, you've been done now for a while and you've moved on to other books. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that you've really taken away from it from a long-term perspective of, uh, of life or your coding or how you're thinking about AI? Well, yeah. Uh, it, it really, really, that book as well as a couple of VR books I've read recently really got me excited about the next five to 10 years. And then like even more so over the next 30 um, the guy in that book, as well as a couple others, gave an example of uh, it took us for 5,000 years or something like that to get from the wheel to the moon. But we weren't halfway to the moon after 2,500 years. We were we didn't even invite invent flight until 4,960 years after we invented the wheel. And so the thought being that if it, we went from or 4,940 or something like that. We went from like flight all the way to the moon in like 60 years because of the exponential growth rate. What does exponential growth look like ever since we got to the moon? And that was like 50, 60 years ago, right? Here's another example. 30 years ago, we were talking about domain names uh, as being like a thing of the future. And there were big companies like ABC and Fox and McDonald's. Like, they're like, why would I want a domain name? Why is it, what's the matter with that? Like, who cares? And you can buy them super cheap. You can buy all of them. But now domain names are like something that you can't find anymore because everyone has one. And so if you look at like the next 30 years, what is something now that we take for granted? Because it, it's so like, duh, or it's so like, eh, who really needs it? But 30 years from now, it's going to be like, holy crap, how did we not see this coming? And the guy was talking about like <laughs> microchips and how like sensors are going to be a thing and everything being cognified. I think that's what we talked about in one of the other uh, books. Yep. Um, the inevitable. Yeah, 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 exactly. And so basically that, that thought of like over this progression of AI and VR and all this exponential change, maybe it is the case that AI is really close, but because it's exponential and humans can't think that way, we just don't see it. Hmm. Huh. So we, we've been in this really slow growth part and now we're, we're just finally hitting stride. Yeah, we're hit, we're so hitting last question where, for where you. Humans progress faster than they evolve because back in the day, I'm talking like tens of thousands of years ago, humans would invent a tool like a hammer or something like that. And it was unchanged for thousands of years. And nowadays you invent a new tool and within, you know, six months it's outdated and you got to get something else. 
<laughs> and so yep. if you think about someone who grew up, like let's say they're born in the year 2000, they're just now turning 18. Dude, they have grown up in an age where going to school means learning an outdated technology by the time you graduate. And that's just a four-year mm-hmm. time difference. So how do you prepare mm-hmm. yourself for the future? How do you prepare society for the future when everything's moving so fast? AI is changing everything. VR and AR are changing everything. Uh, it just got me really excited. It just that, yeah. that field is the last question I had. I have I, I keep coming in and out about whether or not I want to invest time into to learning how to develop for AR and VR. And I was having happy hour with some of my coworkers here at Amazon last week. And they, one of them was talking to me. He's like, I really loved AR or VR. And I bought a VR headset and I would wear it on for like an hour, but any longer than an hour and the headset just gets to be too much. And it feels like over time, it feels like the attention just kind of dissipates the longer you have a VR headset. So I'm curious if you, if with what you've read and how you've been researching, do you think that there's still more to come, more changes to come that's going to make VR and AR really catch on as a technology? Absolutely. Absolutely. As speaking with someone who speaking as someone who also has an HTC Vive. So I have my own VR headset um, as well as um, in the next couple of weeks here, I might be moving to a VR team at the company I'm working at. Um, so it's very exciting. And I think there's a lot to come, but yeah, there are still, still a lot of problems. And one of the books that I was reading on was like how haptics are a problem. How do you, how do you transfer thermal energy? How do you transfer, you know, pressure, texture? How do you? All right, there we go. Yeah, haptics. You were talking about how haptics, like, how do you transfer the the touch? How do you transfer like the feeling of stuff? You can go ahead and finish off that thought. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, how do you transfer, like, thermal energy, like, heat and temperature? How do you transfer texture, pressure? How do you transfer smells? Uh, how do you transfer a focus? Like, when your eyes, because it's dual vision, you can focus on an object that's near you, and it's crisp, and everything else in the background is blurry, but you focus on something in the distance, the stuff in the foreground is blurry. And so, in VR, they're just two screens. that It doesn't know which object your eyes are focusing on. And so, you have to have sensors inside the headset to know where your eyes are looking. And there's just, there's so many pieces to it. And it's like movement is an issue and, you know, continuous movement, running, jumping, laying down. It's like, man, that is really hard. It's a really hard problem to consider. But you think they're all challenges that we can, we'll eventually be able to overcome. And the key word there is eventually, because yes, although I do think they can be overcome, I don't think they'll be anytime soon. And that's the part that saddens me a little bit because I'm extremely optimistic about VR. And after reading that book, I kind of got a little, a little dose of ironically reality that there's just so many pieces to it. Like there's just so much that the body experiences in order for things to be stitched together into one cohesive experience that it's very difficult for just a simple screen display to mimic that. And so it will be a challenge and especially talking about the discomfort of a headset, you know, where you're sitting on it for an hour or two hours or five hours or however long, right? If you imagine right now, there's some uh, people that sit at a desk for eight hours a day or 10 hours a day. They can do that because the chairs are pretty comfortable and the desks are pretty comfortable. But to hold a VR headset on your face for eight hours or 10 hours is something that no one's imagining. But that's the future we need to mm-hmm. get to in order for VR to be a possible, like, replacement, if that makes sense. 
So it the does. comfort factor needs to be there. The, the cords, there cannot be cords in the way. Like there's just so many other challenges that need to be handled, uh, not just financially. Even if you could spend the most amount of money on a headset, it's still uh, mechanically a challenge. I'm going to need to start talking with you about what books I should be reading in VR and AR because along with AI, I think that that is a very hot topic right now and something that I need to do more research. Oh, especially with Magic Leap 1 coming out with their headset earlier this week. With who? Magic Leap. Have you heard of them? I have not. This is a $2.3 billion company that has been secretly creating a product over the last couple of years, and they just now released their first product. Ooh, that's exciting. So what can I Google to, to find more about that? Oh, yeah. Um, you can go to magicleap.com um, and you can buy their headset in six different cities. I think Seattle's one of them for $2,300. <laughs> uh, it's essentially yeah. a competitor to the Microsoft HoloLens, but with uh-huh. what they call uh, a light field display or light field technology. So it's supposed to look hyper-realistic. Um, hmm. Do you know if it's targeted towards like the the home and the consumer, or more towards a business focus? That they they have not made that clear in their marketing, but it seems like based on the price point and their slow movement that it's geared towards business development. Hmm. Cool. Well, field, something to check out. Yeah, the field of view is a little limiting, and the graphics processing is is a little bit limiting. So the games potential and the home consumer potential is a little bit limiting in that respect as well. I, I love the experience you bring on with all of your books, because to be 100 percent honest, I find very few people our age who are still reading. And at the rate that you read, every time you come on, you've got all these new ideas about the future and where we're at today. And that kind of experience is just. I can't even put a price tag on that. So I thank you for joining me. again. Yeah, Hope of course. Man. It's always fun being on here. Sweet. Well, you have a good, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Yeah, you as well. You as well.